Welcome to Will's Personal Development Podcast, where we bring you data and science-backed answers and advice from billionaires. What's up, everybody? This is Will Chow, and welcome to my personal development podcast. Uh, This episode is vital. This is on shame, and shame is something that most people don't really consider as one of the biggest reasons that they aren't succeeding in life, but oftentimes it is. And this runs along one of the big themes to all the content I put out, which is that it's not always some tactic like do this, do that, check this off the checklist, and you will be successful or rich. It's not that simple. If it was, everyone else would do it. Usually there's something harder to fix going on under the surface that's psychological. And shame is one of the big ones that holds people back. Uh, Because when you think about it, there's plenty of articles on how you can earn money on a freelance basis or get your first job. And it's usually stuff like, go to this website, apply to this, go on LinkedIn, message these people, ask to pick their brain, schedule a meeting, show up, pick their brain, blah, blah, blah. And those are things that are doable. But really, when you dig down into it and you really ask these people who are stumbling why are you still failing when the information is out there sometimes oftentimes the answer is there's shame involved and you really have to dig down deep to figure it out it's not that they're incapable on a technical basis but there's shame involved in the process so really this is something that most people don't address uh they instead they just release content on tactics and that's why I want to cover shame Uh, this was actually inspired by a question from one of my email subscribers so my email newsletter um, is a place where I release some exclusive content stuff that I don't release anywhere else in fact in the last couple weeks and upcoming couple weeks I have some I've released and I have I will be releasing some very exclusive emails on specific secret tactics to procrastination and defeating procrastination and uh, social skills and networking and all sorts of other uh, tactics that have worked with real life examples that I don't share anywhere else. Uh, It gets deeply personal and there's also a lot of uh, nuggets in there. So if you're interested in that sort of stuff, check out my blog, willyoulaugh.com and there's uh, plenty of places on there with email opt-ins and, and they're very apparent and obvious and if you opt into any of them uh, you will be signed up for my VIP email newsletter for those secret tips but going back to the subject of this podcast we will be addressing shame and a specific email newsletter subscriber wrote in and they have a very specific problem that they were struggling with that they needed my help with. So this person will be anonymous and essentially he had a deep issue with shame and embarrassment. So this man was pretty old. He had been teaching for a long time, over nine years, and he was scared. He was ashamed of getting certified for accounting because in order to do so he needed to take the same exam that his students were taking and he felt that he would be embarrassed maybe seen as a fraud or something along those lines if he showed up to take this exam along with his students and his students saw him there so he's not feeling confident with preparation and again of course there's thousands upon thousands of accountants and account accounting exams and certifications out there so uh, this person can rest assured that you know he's not going to be found out if I mention this but uh, more so than that I think it's something that drives deeply into uh, preposterousness what I mean by preposterousness is that uh, on some level we know that some of our feelings of shame and embarrassment are nine times out of ten ridiculous. 
On some level, we know this, which is why potentially this person wrote in to talk about this because on some level, he may be realizing that it's ridiculous on its own. Maybe not completely, like probably 80% of him realizes that this is legitimate. Like that's a legitimate reason to be embarrassed. But on some level, he, he needs, he knows that it's ridiculous. Like his students are not going to kill him if this happens. He's still going to return home safe and healthy. He's not going to lose his job because of it. So any potential real downsides are truly only in his own head. And if anything, he's holding himself back from progressing in his career and earning more money by this level of shame. Now, I definitely relate to him. Uh, of course, I've made many huge jumps in shame, which I will get to, and, and overcome it in many ways. But also, I still really fall in line with it. Um, quite recently, I have had a lot of struggles with shame and embarrassment when it comes to um, making friends and making male friends and, and hanging out with them. So one example of this would be when I was realized that in order to kind of turn these friendships I had met in a standard setting, which was my CrossFit classes, into something where it was more informal, where, uh, you know, I could actually call them deeper friendships because we're meeting outside of something that's like forced or rigid or directed, which is these CrossFit classes, I needed to invite them out to something else. Yet I was embarrassed of doing so because in my mind, I thought that I would be seen as gay or someone who's trying to hit on them, which is ridiculous because I'm straight. But I don't know. I think on a logical level, it makes no sense because I'm straight and why would they think that? But I think um, for some reason, maybe it was like past experiences of trying to make friends and, uh, you know, inviting them out to something outside of school and getting rejected or, you know, looked at as weird or um, being misinterpreted that I've kept this idea. I'm not really sure if that's really the case, but, you know, many things are due to past trauma. So on a logical level, it doesn't make much sense. Like, What's the worst that they can, that can happen? They're not going to kill me. If anything, they'll just look at me weird or, you know, one time out of a hundred, maybe they will confirm my worst suspicions and they'll be like, what are you, gay? Why do you want to invite me out to do something outside of class? In which case, I could simply just say, dude, I'm straight. I'm completely straight. I just don't have many friends in my life. And I think real friends... Uh, hang out outside of something that's forced upon them like school or work or a fitness class. And I could logically explain that to them and they would be cleared up. And in worst, worst case, they'll be like, no, no, you're gay. And then, you know, we lose that friendship, in which case they weren't real good potential friends to begin with. So you, they filtered themselves out of my selection process and the type of quality of friend I want. So in that sense, you know, it's something that's not logical. And that's what I really, that's the big point I want to get through. Not everything you do is going to be one for one logical. This false belief that humans are this, you know, completely logical creature is obviously wrong. I mean, just think about it. How many times have we done something stupid because we're angry or upset or emotional or jealous? Things that don't make sense on a logical perspective or something we wouldn't have done if we had a moment of thought. And these exist because it goes back to the Savannah principle. This is a scientific principle which basically states that our rate of evolution and change has not caught up to the speed with which we are developing technology in modern society. So most of us, all of us, as humans are still evolved to survive best in the savanna times when we still were hunter gatherers and farmers and we lived in savanna like terrains and that's a very different atmosphere with very different dynamics uh, in terms of human dynamics in terms of tribal dynamics 
in terms of what would happen if you were ostracized or rejected by someone of that village or town you're in, you were screwed. So we still react it and um, behave in these ways because back in those days, you know, rejection or ostracization did mean death because you only had this village to turn to. So in that way, we still act and behave and eat. Eating is a huge one. We eat so many sugary foods because back in the day, sugar was rare. And because of that, we have horrible uh, side effects. We become very obese even because nowadays sugar is plentiful, fat is plentiful, uh, and it's not ideal for our bodies or our minds. So going back to shame, how this applies is that we are not the most logical when it comes to shame. So don't try to logically reason your way out of shame. That will help to a certain extent. Uh, as you can kind of tell by kind of working out the worst case scenario and accepting it, the logical part of your brain will kind of like adjust somewhat emotionally. It's not a complete fix. It'll be like a 20 or 30% fix. I've done this numerous times. I've accepted the worst case scenario as I suggest you do with uh, what you're doing, you know, taking this certification exam. Because the worst case scenario, you're still going to go home to your family. You're not going to die. It's not some fatal illness. And, you know, nine times out of ten, the worst case scenario will not happen. So this will help, but it will not solve everything. I mean... Dating is probably the best example of this. If you go up to a girl or you're about to and you try and logically accept the worst case scenario. Hey, and we've done, we've all done this or many of us young guys have done something like this because we've read about it on some blog or watched some YouTube video. And we said, you know what? Worst case scenario, she's just going to say no. And then I'm going to be on my day. I'm not going to be dead. And you still have all this emotional upheaval that prevents you from doing it or makes it really hard to do and that's because although on a logical perspective it does help it's the emotional genetic perspective that still takes over your body still telling you if you get rejected by this girl she's the only girl of this village and tribe and then she's going to gossip and tell all the other 10 girls in your village and town and now you've completely screwed your genetic potential and you've lowered your chances of having offspring which is traumatic and like death to your genes even though your genes don't know that you live in a completely new world with millions of humans and air travel and train travel and car travel which gives you access to millions of potential other mates if one doesn't work out so rejection isn't as hard so, okay, you've done the logical reasoning aspect of it and accepting the worst case scenario and really fully fleshed that out. That does help. I, and I really encourage you to do this first because it does help and really walk through the details uh, of the worst things that can happen because what's the worst that can happen? Your students are going to laugh at you or get angry at you or you know denounce you and sometimes they rightfully should like if you do something horrendous like um, let's say you pretend to be a doctor and you know you have lives on stake that could be something where you may rightfully should you chose something that you shouldn't have done and you're suffering because of that but when it's something lesser like an accounting or an accountant certification um, you have to kind of realize that, you know, maybe it's not rightfully so. So think about it from the perspective of Ramit Sethi, a multi-million dollar entrepreneur. He's a blogger, personal finance author. He's well known in his industry. He has a blog called IWillTeachYouToBeRich.com and he has no certifications. He has no degrees. Yet, he has helped thousands of students earn more money, double or triple their salary, start their own businesses, make six figures and seven figures from their businesses, and so on and so forth. Yet, the issue is 
you know, people will bring up, well, how were you able to do this and not feel shame and embarrassment that you weren't certified? And his response is simply that, hey, if you're feeling something like this, look at me and realize that I have helped these people and that's a better metric than some certification. And when you really think about it like that, that could be incredibly beneficial to any type of logical thinking on your behalf. Because there are definitely personal trainers who have all these certifications, yet they don't have as many success stories or transformation stories as someone who doesn't have these certifications. So there's something in the fitness industry where called you know, certification insecurity, where they basically have, you know, won't even get started because they don't think they're qualified. And, you know, there's a certain amount of truth to that. There's definitely, you know, having certain certifications can definitely get you the knowledge and ability and skill set to achieve the results in your clients. But it's not so cut and dry and black and white. You know, you can have these certifications, but if you don't apply them right, you don't have any success stories. And then there are those who have success stories. And then there's those who uh, don't have success stories and are not certified. So there's like a middle ground there. Just realize that with Ramit Sethi and what he's done, he's been able to transform the lives of so many people, more so than a lot of people with all these personal finance certifications and degrees and so forth. So certifications can help. There are definitely people who have transformed the lives of their patients or clients better because they're certified. But don't use it as your ultimate proxy. If you've really helped these students over the years learn and better and progress towards their dream careers, and you're seeing those results, then you should not be ashamed. You should use that as a benchmark proxy. So that kind of segues into another area of internal development, your inner uh, game and your inner ability to uh, have a good mindset. And that's where I get to the next point in dealing with shame and embarrassment, which is... uh, something I learned from Warren Buffett, one of the richest men in history. Uh, He always talks about this and he learned about this from his father. Uh, He talks about this so much that it's almost in like every other interview he's in as well as his autobiography and so on and so forth. So basically, it's called your inner versus outer scorecard. So what this means is that People have an inner and outer scorecard. And depending on which one you value more or most, it can dramatically affect your happiness and success and development in life. And your ability to stay secure, have good self-worth and self-appreciation and self-love. So he argues that most people have what's called a outer scorecard. And basically what this means is they judge their self-worth and self-appreciation purely or mostly on what others perceive them as. So essentially, if others think that they're doing great because they're earning a lot of money or they have a lot of certifications or degrees, then they're doing well. The problem with this model is that it's very fickle and fluid And it's built on pillars of sand because life is unpredictable at times. It's risky and it can crumble almost at any moment. And therefore, your self-worth is always kind of like glass or it can crumble or break at any moment. Because what happens if uh, another depression or recession hits and... All of a sudden, the business that you're making so much money from crumbles, and now you're bankrupt again. And this happens quite often if you read uh, any book by a millionaire. There's like thousands of books by millionaires on how they achieve success. It's a bit overboard nowadays, but like every year, millionaires are creating more, which I think is useful uh, overall. But maybe more so than we can ever uh, hope to read. And if you read enough of these, as I have, 
it's a pretty common theme. Like a lot of them have achieved their success in terms of wealth by some type of outer scorecard. Maybe their dad or mom told them that they're never worthy until they become a millionaire and so forth. And even after their parents died, they chased this validation, but it was never enough. And then as soon as they got it, uh, quite shortly after, or maybe several years after, or decades after, they went bankrupt from for some unexpected reason. They lose their business, and all of a sudden, their self worth goes down the drain. So you know that kind of sucks. I think uh, there's a recent millionaire who wrote a book on this called uh, "It's Called Zero to Millionaire." trying to search it up now anyhow there's an and then he wrote a sequel called rockstar bottom to millionaire it's called okay i found it it's called Rock Bottom. His name's Ryan Blair. Rock Bottom to Rockstar. Lessons from the Business School of Hard Knocks. And then he wrote a prequel to that called Nothing to Lose, Everything to Gain. How I Went from Gang Member to Multimillionaire Entrepreneur. And then there's another guy called Kevin Ruiz. Again, there's so many books by millionaires. And his book's called like Secrets to Success, uh, which is the most common title ever. But you get the point. Basically, there's a lot of these people. If you go, if you listen to Eventual Millionaire, the podcast that interviews new millionaires every week, there's like hundreds of episodes and a lot of them confirm this story. But the point I'm trying to make to you is that when it comes to an inner and outer scorecard, you have to have an inner scorecard. An inner scorecard is one where you have decided those tangible and intangible things, those constant things that you can control in your own life that uh, are very hard to take away whether or not, what, no matter what the world brings you. And your inner scorecard is something where you are happy and content with who you are as a person, no matter what anyone else thinks. So contrast that with the outer scorecard where you only care what other people think, no matter what you truly are inside. And having an inner scorecard like Warren Buffett and his father did will really help you stay happy and fulfilled throughout your lifespan, no matter what happens. All those superficial things and all the ups and downs of life, you will still maintain a happiness and fulfillment. Now, some examples of inner scorecard qualities you should have or you should potentially measure yourself against could include hard work, empathy, gratitude, contribution, having the people you want to love you, love you. That's one that Warren Buffett says is something that will keep you happy and fulfilled no matter how rich or poor you are. He says he's never known someone who has had the people he wants to love him, love him throughout his entire life. Those type of people never are unhappy. He, and he's not, not met one person who's uh, not confirmed that theory. So they, those are certain things. They, they can also be certain traits you have like honesty, ethics, Fulfilling your promises, doing what you say you do, going above and beyond what you're expected of you constantly. And so those are just examples. If you want to determine your inner scorecard traits, uh, he has another test that he has. But basically that test is simply you look at who you admire the most and then you identify those tangible qualities. Because nine times out of ten, those are qualities that you can have that anyone else in the world can have too because they're under your control. Anyone can choose right now to be hardworking, to honor their abilities, to be compassionate, 
empathetic. It may it may take practice to get better at it, but those are things you can control always, and therefore those are things that can better your life. And there are things that remain constant. So bringing this back to shame and embarrassments and what holds you back with shame, have an inner scorecard for you. If you can really identify and stick, stay true to what really matters to you as a accounting teacher, in this case, it could be potentially the fact that you're an honest and hardworking teacher, that you're ethical, that you try your hardest every day to get results for your students. Or maybe it's just the fact that you are courageous or bald or you're you try and be interesting in class, or you work hard, or you're always on time, or you're productive, whatever it is, if you can measure up to those values you set for yourself, and you remain true to that, then no matter what anyone else thinks of you, you will still remain fulfilled. Think about it this way. Would you rather have everyone in the world think you're the worst lover in the world, but you're truly the best in reality, or vice versa, where everyone thinks you're the best lover in the world, but you're actually the worst. Have that inner scorecard in yourself. And maybe you screwed up in your past. Maybe that's potentially why you've gone so long without getting that certification exam. Or maybe you just never got to it. Uh, But starting from now on, you know, move aside from your past and Start a fresh leaf and decide what is going to matter most to you for your inner scorecard and take that and go forward with those measurements. And that's what's really helped me a lot in my dealings with shame and embarrassment. Uh, There's been many moments. I remember being embarrassed many times before I started CrossFit where I would just go to a commercial gym on my own. And I would be the most skinny person in there. I would feel embarrassed sitting there sometimes with all these muscular people around me. I was scared that they would, you know, point fingers at me or ask me why I'm in there or why I would even bother trying or something like that. But I kept to my inner scorecard what valued most to me. And I knew that anyone of good quality would not do any of that to me. If anything, they would be inspired and they would encourage me because they saw and valued what I value, which is hard work, perseverance, honesty, persistence and focus, and consistency. Because those are the traits and values that anyone can adopt, but many people don't, that are admired and respected. And I knew through that I could become more muscular. And on top of that, I could surmount those odds. And that's what I was doing. That's what I was valuing and committing to. And of course, any muscular guy who resonated with that wouldn't ever make fun of me for showing up at the gym skinny. And because of that, I pushed aside my embarrassment. And guess what happened? I don't think I was ever really... I was never mocked or pointed fingers at and if i was it barely registered i was so in the zone that like maybe once or twice maybe someone made fun of me but i can't even remember it because i was just so focused and i valued myself and i was so content with what i was doing that it didn't matter because i was showing up i was doing the work necessary to make it to the next level if anything I realized and learned that many of these muscular people were very friendly and encouraging and supportive and kind. Now, some of them may have even started where I started, so they saw that. So so keep that in mind. Um, there are other moments where sometimes your worst case scenario does happen, and uh, it sometimes rocks you more than you think, but that's completely okay. Uh, for your worst case scenario, it would be, you know, former or current students mocking you for taking that certification exam. For me, however, um, my worst fears come down to, in the social setting at least, come down to 
uh, feelings of rejection or being looked down upon or seen as scum by women. And uh, fairly recently, that actually happened. Uh, it wasn't too recent, but um, I had severe anxiety with talking with women. And I told myself that like, I just had to meet women and find out something interesting about them. And now the worst case scenario for that would be, and this would be like 1% chance of happening, but if a woman immediately detected that I was hitting on her, even though I was just trying to, you know, make friends and have fun, on some deeper level, I was trying to hit on her or, you know, trying to meet new women. And because of that, completely snubbed me, ignored me, uh, was very rude to me, rejected me, and made sure to look down on me as if I could ever possibly approach such a girl of her caliber uh, because I do have insecurity issues and self-worth and so forth. So I'm working on it. And that's actually what happened. So, you know, along the cycle of meeting new people and having fun and talking to them, one day I decided to do this with a new girl that came to class. And she was very average in many senses, you know, uh, you know, slightly overweight and so forth. Yet, for some reason, I was still intimidated by her. Uh, I'm kind of weird. I have like um, narcissism mixed with insecurity. So, you know, at the center of my insecurity is a bit of narcissism. So on some level, I was like, okay, she's just a regular girl, whatever. How, how, how could she do this to me? But then on the outer levels uh, or inner levels, as you can say, I was also very taken aback because she rejected me. And that's exactly what happened. I, I went up to her and um, we were supposed to pair off to do a specific squat workout. And I, I just said, because she was of similar height to me, um, I, that would be a good potential partner opportunity because, uh, when you're squatting, you want someone with similar height to share a rack with. And so I was like, Hey, do you want a partner for this squatting opportunity? And at the time I wasn't even, it wasn't even on my radar because it becomes such a habit for me to just meet new people and have fun. And her reaction was probably the worst that I could have experienced from a psychological perspective. It was very shameful and embarrassing, which was she confirmed my worst suspicions. She looked at me with, you know, this not complete disgust, but like disinterest. And she's like, uh, I don't know about this. Um, but she uh, eventually remained silent for a while and said yes. But her facial expression and everything was like, yeah, you're hitting on me, but I don't want anything to do with that. Don't partner with me. Yet, she said yes, and, and I was completely snubbed. And then throughout the entire workout, she was very cold to me, didn't want to talk to me. And then when I one time, I even asked her, like, do you want to move up weights? And she was just like, no, I'm not going to. And she would avoid eye contact, and it was just very cold. So from there, I was really like devastated, and I dwelled on that experience for hours afterwards, which was kind of ridiculous because, um, you know, I had honestly just been there to kind of talk to her. Uh, so the point is that like your worst case scenarios will happen, and sometimes it will rock you more than you think, but just realize that like, you will get through it, especially if you accepted it. And sometimes just experiencing it, uh, for some people, it will help. Uh, so, you know, sometimes you have to gradually work up to it. And for others, just experiencing it and realizing it's not the end of the world helps cure it. For me, it was a bit too much to begin with. But like now looking back a long time later, I was like, this is quite ridiculous to begin with. And, you know, it all ended up working out like, she like went on her way and I went on mine and like I'm still living and breathing. If anything, 
The next big tip I want to give you is to kind of look on the bright side of your worst case scenario. Because when I looked at the bright side of her, the worst case scenario that occurred, what happened? Well, one great benefit of that was the fact that she at least saw me as a sexual being. That was something that I had always kind of worried about. Being a kind of passive, quiet, shy Asian millennial male, I was wondering, especially based off all those interviews of women talking about Asian men and dating and saying how they'd never been approached or seen them as sexual beings, I thought that maybe people weren't even considering me as a potential sexual being or considering that I had, I was on any way sexually interested in them. So that's a potential great plus side to it. Hey, at least she saw me as a sexual being from the get-go. Uh, so, you know, in that sense, it was completely great. Um, now, for your specific situation, what's the potential positive benefit of maybe your worst case scenario happening and you being shamed of by your students when you show up for that certification exam? Well, you have to be a bit creative with this, so I can't pull out all the possible positive benefits, but one of them is that, hey, the fact that you're experiencing it now means that you can, you at least showed up to the exam rather than procrastinated and constantly delayed taking the exam out of fear. And now, you know, now that your worst case scenario has happened and your students have embarrassed you or whatever, at the very least, you can go ahead and finish this exam and get that certification so you don't have to ever deal with this ever again. Keep that in mind. So that's basically what I have to say with uh, shame in terms of the logical aspect and dealing with this from a semi-emotional uh, perspective. Um, now there's also the true emotional and psychological areas of dealing with shame, the genetic parts. And those um, have to deal with anxiety, fear of judgment, fear of um, rejection. Those are usually the biggest ones. Fear of wasting time, fear of looking like a fool. Um, those are things that are hard to deal with. And uh, I've written a whole blog post about kind of managing social anxiety, uh, which I think is very relevant to this with a lot of science-backed uh, tips on that from a, a book by Dr. Shannon Kalokowski, uh, which really goes into depth on this. Uh, there are tips such as mindfulness meditation, mindfulness of emotions, uh, which really deal with um, meditation and its ability, if practiced properly, to uh, rewire the neurons in your brain so that your emotional center is less connected to your logical center so that when your emotions come about, you're more able to control them rather than they controlling you and overriding your system. And by being mindfully aware of them through practice, you're able to kind of acknowledge them and then push them aside and, you know, see them as third party entities rather than something that controls your actions. So if, if that shame ever comes up, you can kind of acknowledge it rather than just, you know, let it take control and force you to run out, out of the exam uh, rather than, you know, just, you know, dealing with it and taking the exam regardless of the shame. Uh, I want to kind of give you one last real example of kind of my own experience with dealing with shame in my own life to kind of uh, give you one last tip on potentially dealing with it. I do think mindfulness meditation is a huge potential way of doing this, uh, getting better at this. But jumping into my example, when it comes to shame and embarrassment, uh, for me, there's um, sexual shame there. So I discovered this by reading the book No More Mr. Nice Guy by Dr. Robert Glover. This man is a psychotherapist who has helped tens of thousands of uh, stereotypical nice guys uh, get the uh, romantic relationships that they want. Unfortunately, many nice guys have no spine. They don't stand up for themselves. They're actually quite selfish. They're not really nice. They're only nice to get something out of other people. And they have a lot of uh, ulterior motives and unspoken um you know, reasons for doing something and a lot of issues with, uh, expressing any type of, uh, desire of their own or, you know, sexual interest of their own. 
And, uh, you know, sometimes they overwork themselves. Oftentimes they have very little sexual or romantic pleasure in the form of dates or romantic relationships. Or if even the women that they do marry, they, they really have problems with. So this book was pivotal. This man has helped so many people and he's really found out a process to kind of help people work through this. And uh, when it comes to what I learned from him in his book, uh, one thing is that uh, men have, these nice, nice guys have a lot of sexual shame to the point where they will mask and sabotage their own um, chances of succeeding romantically because of that sexual shame. Maybe their parents or religion or something told them that they can't express it in any way. And they, of course, have a lot of issues succeeding. They may even get to the point where they do have a wife, but they are really frustrated with that wife because of this you know, constant need to please others uh, without ever pleasing themselves. So with that book, I went through it and I realized that I definitely have sexual shame uh, when it comes to any interactions with women. Um, I do have on a romantic basis or, you know, just interacting with them in general of um, my age group, the millennial age group. um, I can get very scared, nervous. The conversations can get very short and truncated. Uh, I often am at a loss for words. And more often than not, I don't say much at all. I sabotage myself from approaching at all, which kind of makes it really bad because with women, oftentimes they will not approach you. If you get really lucky, they will, but many women, and I've seen this firsthand, they just will not approach you first. It's just, you know, it's been the way for thousands of years. And even with feminism and equality, um, it's helped, but you're still expected to approach first and get rejected um, because, you know, that's just the way it's been. And so you kind of have to man up and tough enough and do it, but it, it can really affect you in a way. Uh, even to a point where just talking to a woman who is attractive is something that I'm scared of. Even women who have uh, boyfriends or are married. Uh, because I am so scared. For me, I'm scared of fear of judgment by other males, usually. It's like, why are you talking to this woman? How dare you? Um, I'm scared of being mocked or highlighted by other men for doing it. Or, you know, attacked by men out of jealousy. Or um, pretty much, uh, you know showcased and made fun of for doing that and also on a double front scared of women potentially uh you know embarrassing me or you know confirming or sticking the knife into my belly and twisting by showing that hey how dare you even think you're worthy of you know talking to me even if it's just something talking about uh naturally uh, talking to someone naturally uh as a friend or person to person on a completely non-romantic level. I do get scared a lot. Uh, However, despite this, I've been able to um, talk to a lot of women. I still chicken out a lot. Um, I don't get many opportunities because I don't live in a big city. But I've like if anyone were to see me from the outside, they would argue that I am a pretty normal guy who talks to a normal amount of women. Um, but in reality, you know, I, I scare, get scared a lot. It's very debilitating and it definitely limits my chances severely. Uh, so as you can see, I'm bringing this up because a lot of it has to do with shame, embarrassment by other men, um, embarrassment by women. Now, of course, from all my experiments and tests out there, it really has to, part of it has to do with um, realizing that the worst case scenario will happen on occasion. As you've seen, it's happened before in the past and it will happen in the future. If you talk to enough women, if you meet enough men, you will get 
men and women who are just atrocious and will confirm your worst case scenarios. They'll make fun of you and so forth. But by using that inner scorecard and realizing that true men that value you will not behave in such a way that could be useful. Obviously, it will not solve everything because, you know, sometimes men are ridiculous people or just uh, women are still going to hurt you and that's going to suck. But uh, from a psychological and emotional perspective, how I've been dealing with this and working on this is, of course, mindfulness of emotions and mindfulness of experiences, meditation on a recurring basis, as well as um, lowering your... You setting up systems basically to lower your effective dose or effective potential downside um, by reframing your goals, as I've mentioned before in numerous podcasts, into something that's easier. I'm just here to meet people and have fun. That's something I can't fail at. To accomplish your first goal, your first initial onset, um, for you, uh, your initial onset would be actually showing up for that uh, certification exam in the first place. Um, you have other potential obstacles in the future, like um, uh, dealing with it when you see current students there. But your f- first initial thing should be just to fix that first initial obstacle that, that prevents you from getting the ball rolling and, and getting the momentum swinging. And so for me, my first initial obstacle would be actually talking to these girls. That's a huge initial block for me where I sabotage myself to an extent where I do not ever approach. So I will set up systems just to get through that first initial thing before even worrying about the rest. And um, for that, one would be reframing. Another would be truly and passionately um, seeing things in a different way. Uh, And then another would be sometimes just throwing myself into it, uh, head to toe, water first, in order to experience the worst case scenario and be okay with it and realize it's not the end of the world. And then others would include different types of um, you know, methods and behaviors of accomplishing the same goal. Perhaps one time I'll come in in a more friendly way, another I'll come in in a more aggressive way, another I'll come in with a question about that person's life, another I might just come in you know, ask, you know, introducing myself upright and talking to them. So for your obstacle of showing up to that certification exam, exam, you can try different tests and different ways of doing that. Maybe you you tell yourself, I'm just going to go to this restaurant I've wanted to go to for a long time that's right next to where they're going to take this exam. And after I have this great restaurant feast, maybe I will show up to the exam and, you know, take it. Another potential approach would be, hey... I'm going to show up to this exam, but I'm only going to stay for the first 10 minutes of the exam and leave no matter what the exam proctors say or anything like that. Uh, Maybe I'll say I have to go to the bathroom or I'm feeling really sick and then I'll leave. By doing that, you can at least get comfortable with how it would feel like to take the first 10 minutes of the exam. Maybe you'll show up for the first 10 minutes and realize that, hey, this exam place is so big, so many people are taking this certification exam that I don't even see any of my former or current classmates to begin with. And with that, you get that momentum ball rolling and so on and so forth. See, there's different ways of doing this and setting up these systems to get through it by chunking it up and lowering the bar to entry so that the barrier to entry, the intimidation factor is less. So, of course, um, you know, this applies, and I, I partially got this from Dr. Kalikowski's work as a uh, psychologist because one of her clients, um, her, his, his big fear was the fear of severe embarrassment of looking like a fool if he were to, you know, drive 30 minutes and go to this fancy restaurant and have a reservation with a date and for his date to stand him up. Because uh, one of her clients, that's exactly what happened. And that trauma caused him to self-sabotage from having any dates moving forward because he was so scared of looking like a fool. Well, what would he, what would happen if he maybe just showed up to a restaurant that was two minutes from his house and he didn't need a reservation because 
it wasn't as fancy and he didn't have to spend as much money. And if that date didn't show up, he wouldn't lose as much time. Um, you know, so those are things that can help reduce the um, potential psychological downfall to it as well. Um, another way, uh, and there's a lot of different ways, is really reduce the cognitive downfall from a uh, true perspective. You know, let's say you could tell yourself or you could actually get a girlfriend. You could tell yourself, I have a girlfriend or you can actually truly get a girlfriend and then your behavior and communication with other attractive women in my case would potentially be lessened because you already have a relationship so you're not really trying to put on an act you're just interacting with people on a regular level because you're not looking for anything and you're not trying to put on a show or be someone you're not because you're not trying to impress anyone so that's another potential way that. Uh, we could potentially get you ahead of most guys who are just scared out of their minds to do anything. So just keep all these things in mind when you are going through your life because that's a real way of getting through. Now, uh, with that guy who was scared of, you know, looking like a fool and because he got stood up on a date, he wasn't thinking from a complete logical perspective because if you ever been into a crowded restaurant no one really notices or cares if you get stood up maybe one or two people do but like they they're more selfish and concerned about their own lives and so there's this spotlight uh, there's the spotlight effect going on most times uh, even then where even if you think you're you know everyone's looking at you no one really cares most people are very selfish and they they really they're more concerned about their own problems and worries than they have to like see what you're doing and care about it i mean if you go on youtube there's even like these most these crazy social experiments and pranks where like someone will like have pretended to poop in their pants in public and like you'll be astounded like they'll be in the middle of the public in the city and there are people who walk right past this guy not even noticing because they're so focused on their own interests and problems even though someone right next to them just pooped in their pants. So just keep that in mind. Um, on a logical perspective, there's so many things you can do, as I've mentioned, to kind of lessen the blow. But even then, it will not be enough. Then you take over with these systems and uh, and um, other methods of reframing and um, meditation-based practices to really get over your shame. Uh, now, I'm not a psychologist, so if it's some type of severe level of shame or embarrassment, more than an average person has to deal with, then you want to consult some type of expert uh, or professional. And I don't think you should be embarrassed with the shame of seeking a psychologist or psychiatrist as an expert. I had a little bit of shame, maybe more than a little bit, uh, when I first consider that but i sucked it up and i did it uh back when uh my school offered a, f a few free sessions and really first off no one f ever found out about it because like they they don't care and i'm not like parading it about so it, no one found out that i did this but even if they did i wouldn't be ashamed anymore because um i realized that with Something like this, even healthy, mentally good, well-functioning people sometimes have shrinks or psychologists to enhance their performance in life. And on top of that, a psychologist's job is really to improve your life. And, you know, my shame came from the fact that, oh, a psychologist means I'm crazy or weird or something like that. Well, sometimes, but sometimes it's just to deal with a certain, uh, you know, side trauma or side effect or you know certain thing that you're you're working with maybe it's you're fully functional in most of your life but you know your relationship with your mother needs a little bit of help um i just think if anything it's just you're limiting your potential for peak performance if you are self-sabotaging yourself by not trying this out uh, there's also um, public support groups that may be cheaper and could be useful to you as well so if your problems are more severe. Again, I'm not some professional 
doing this. This is mainly for, you know, kind of like normal guys, kind of like how Dr. Robert Glover, uh, uh, you know, the type of people Dr. Glover helps, uh, normal people who have certain problems. This podcast might be great for you, but anything other than that, try a professional. Um, so there you have it. There's sexual shame. For me, it's uh, expressing any type of interest romantically in a woman. Then there is uh, emotional shame. There is reputational shame. Uh, there is feeling like a fraud and many other forms of shame and embarrassment that hold us back. Maybe it's looking like a coward. Maybe it's looking like a fool. Maybe it's looking like someone who's indecent from a religious, religious standpoint or indecent from a ethics standpoint. Maybe you stole something. Now, of course, living by the values you set and making clear values can really establish and eliminate shame in the ways where your, what you choose to value is really only all that matters. But another way of doing it is realizing that the shame that you have can be fixed and working on doing all the things necessary to fix it. Now, there is a book that recently came out by um, a, to- a big uh, online entrepreneur by the name of Lewis Howes. The book's called The Mask of Masculinity. However, I haven't read it yet, so I can't recommend the book. I'm just kind of putting it on your radar. It has to do with shame in, in the form of masculinity and what's expected of a man and how that can affect you in life and make you feel. Uh, but I haven't read it, so I, I can't recommend it. Uh, there's other books on masculinity and uh, strength and, and so forth. I do recommend No More Mr. Nice Guy a lot. Any book by Dr. Uh, Shannon Kalikowski. Uh And then there are a few other books on just uh, being a man and how that affects you in modern society and how to kind of come to terms with that. But they don't really address shame that much, so I will not uh, be mentioning them here. Um, however, I do think that for further reading... Um, you, you definitely want to check out, uh, No More Mr. Nice Guy, if nothing else. Because you, you clearly see how sexual shame, uh, manifests itself for nice guys. They will be scared to ask their romantic partners for sex. To the point where they feel so dissatisfied. Uh, they'll be scared to do anything enjoyable for themselves because they think it's, you know, taking away from other people. Uh, and this will, this severely affects their happiness in life. Now, I, I'm not also, just to wrap it up in conclusion, I'm not saying that shame is some golden standard or central theme to every problem in life. Fortunately, it's not. Some smaller problems can be fixed easily. Like, let's say you're really into personal finance. You don't usually, usually you don't have problems related psychologically that will stop you from getting quick wins, like negotiating a smaller fee on your cable or rent or your TV or mobile phone membership. Uh, there's plenty of personal finance blogs that have uh, scripts you can read word for word where you basically you know, call into your cable company and you say, I've been a loyal customer for X years. I don't want to lose and go to your comp- comp- a competitor of yours because you offer such a high fee. And it, you basically use the script and you get a lower fee. Shame is not always present or a obstacle for um, some of your major stumbling blocks. But then again, it could be. You know, maybe it's fear rather than shame. I know that I am definitely a bit scared of calling mm-hmm any type of cable company and talking to someone person to person because I'm, I've experienced that before. I know how rude or abrupt or scathing they can be. So maybe, you know, in some certain ways, I am a bit affected psychologically from that, even something as simple as negotiating a cable thing. Uh, so, you know, in some ways, even those small things, shame can be, shame or fear can be a factor at play. But not always. Like, even in that small scenario, I do have a bit of fear there, but I will overcome it and still probably call in if I, if need be, because it's a small dose of fear, uh, that's smaller than my 
uh, incentive to get a lower mobile phone fee. Same thing with my uh, deeper fear of getting a flu shot. Uh, I have a deep fear of needles, yet that has not stopped me from getting annual flu shots every year because my deeper fear and uh, of uh, getting sick outweighs that. So just keep in mind that like it's not some golden pill. Mastering shame in all areas will not make you the king of the world, but it will help you because embarrassment and shame has affected us in so many different areas. Maybe it's religious shame and fear. I think a lot of people have that when it comes to sex before marriage or all these other things that really affect their behavior. Sometimes they go swing to the other end of the pendulum and they become very, um, they do a lot of weird, screwed up things to kind of like uh, overcompensate for their uh, repression in their past. So it really can manifest in a lot of ways. For this email subscriber who wrote in, I do think that from what he told me, it seems to be a moderate level of shame that can definitely be overcome. It's not screwed up. It's not extreme. It's definitely a large amount, but it is not exceptionally large to the point where it's unbeatable. Uh, but it's not so small that some quick trick will fix what he's doing. So I recommend what I mentioned here. And for him, I really recommend it. And after you've passed that certification exam, I really recommend that you take what you learned and apply it to where shame is affecting you in many other areas of life. I think for Asian Americans or Asians in general, shame and embarrassment probably affects you in many areas of your life, not just one. Uh, I was recently at Toastmasters, which is like a public speaking uh, recurring meeting group. And one uh, uh, there's a Chinese immigrant uh, who showed up to one of the classes and she she was visiting and she was just checking it out but she just kept pestering me on and on and on about how shame ashamed she was and ashamed i should be and so many things now of course she tried to play it off like she was joking but i think she was serious and this you know i can't say it's her fault completely because this runs deep in her culture this was how she was brought up and programmed but basically, she was shaming me or trying to shame me for not being able to speak Chinese well because I'm American-born. And then she was shaming herself because she you know, wasn't good enough to public speak and all this other stuff. And she just kept going on about it. She kept using certain phraseology that I highly recommend you avoid. Just the way you say and perceive things and frame things can really... Make a deep crack into your self-worth and how deeply shame affects you negatively. Or it can prevent it from happening. So she used the words, I should be so ashamed because. And you should be so ashamed because. Uh, and again, I just want to emphasize how much of a advantage you get for listening to podcasts like this and so forth. Because as far as the Asian and Eastern culture world goes... They have yet to catch up in terms of, you know, a lot of stuff I'm talking about. Um, they're very stuck in their ways in the, in this realms of shame for sure. So they'll use these words and um, for me to even con make them consider using a different phraseology, I don't think uh, my Asian parents or their generation or, or any uh, many uh, Asian natives would even understand this the importance of phraseology or, or, or be willing and open to consider it. But rather than use the phrase, you should be so ashamed or I should be so ashamed because I can't speak Chinese well. If you do have to use any level of shame, change the phrase to society thinks I should be so ashamed because I can't speak Chinese well. By framing it this way differently, your perception of it changes. You're the subtle difference of the concept changes because you're not placing the shame on yourself voluntarily you're saying oh society or someone else thinks i should be ashamed 
And it gets you to question whether that should actually be true in the first place. Or, or if it's just something to control you. Maybe it's your parents wanting to control you or religion trying to control you or someone else trying to control your behavior so that it's more docile or controllable or they can get their way. But maybe that's not always the best way of doing things. And you, you sometimes have to question, well, is this really the best thing to do? Is this something that I should even be ashamed of? So that's all I got to say. I'm not some type of shame expert, but I do think that some of these perspectives and tactics and, and, and little hacks can really help you uh, move above and beyond. I, for one, think that the biggest obstacles in my life have to do with shame in the romantic sense, but of course they are often um, pervade into multiple other areas of life. Uh, I'll keep you posted. I definitely hope that um, I will be able to overcome shame uh, in the ways I want so that I can meet uh, the quality of women that I want in my life. Um, but shame can affect you in your career or in different ways. Uh, let's you know, cross our fingers and hope it works. Uh, thanks for listening. Please uh, hit that subscribe button so you are plugged into my podcast. And you know when new episodes are coming out on your mobile phone. Uh, subscribe to me on Apple Podcasts if you aren't already. And make sure you join my email newsletter, which you can opt in for at willyoulap.com for some of the most secret, exclusive, premium, prestigious secrets to succeeding in your career as an Asian American millennial. Thanks, and I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to Will's Personal Development Podcast. You can find more at willyoulaugh.com.